During this season of Advent, we are considering how we begin by looking at the beginning of each of the Gospels. How do the four different Gospel writers begin this most extraordinary story, and what does it have to teach us today? We are going to consider today the Gospel of Mark and the perplexing fact that Mark begins his Gospel story with repentance. As we prepare to read Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may your Holy Spirit move in and among us and through us as we hear and digest your holy word. May it challenge us to be your faithful people today and always. Amen. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is no attempt to ease us into this story by describing Mary's astonishing pregnancy No suspenseful description of Bethlehem teeming with people and no place to stay and Mary in labor and a baby born in a stable. No bright shining star or caroling angels. No shepherds in the fields. Mark doesn't even begin with a complete sentence. The beginning of Mark's gospel is not the stuff of children's Christmas pageants. He begins with John the Baptist who sounds more than a little crazy living in the wilderness, off locusts and wild honey, dressed in camel hair and leather. Maybe that's why there's no John in the pageants. Can you imagine trying to put a kid in that costume? And John is yelling his head off for everyone to come and receive what he offers, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I don't know about you, but I was hoping for something a little more festive. A few years ago, I came across a short video about Advent. In just two minutes, with edgy graphics and catchy music, the video attempted to illustrate what Advent is and what it is not. It was the part about what Advent is not that caught my attention. According to the video, Advent is not stressing about Christmas, running around shopping, 
or racing to get through a list before December 25th. Hopefully we can all agree on that. But then the narrator said, Advent is also not Lent, the season of preparation before Easter. It's about hope, not repentance. Lent is more of a spring cleaning of our lives. Advent is cozier, getting your home ready to welcome a special guest. Well, I take issue with that, and I think Mark would too. Advent certainly isn't Lent. In Lent, we are called to take inventory of our spiritual lives, which gives it a somber feel. But I don't think Advent is only about hope and not repentance, especially when Mark's gospel begins with John the Baptist proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Apparently, if we really want to get ready to welcome Jesus, John the Baptist thinks we need to start by cleaning up our messes. When I was a child growing up in Roanoke, all of our extended family lived in Georgia. So at Christmas time, we either traveled to see them or they came to see us. I much preferred doing the traveling because when it was our turn to host, my mother spent the days before our family's arrival in a state of high anxiety as she prepared the house for our guests. I distinctly remember standing and watching her mop the kitchen floor and saying, as only a teenager can, you know, Mom, our family loves us already. Why does it matter if the house is perfectly clean? She gave me an exasperated look and said, we do not clean the house so that they will love us. We clean the house because we love them. Then she gave me a job to do. <laughs> we are not called to repent of our sin so that when Jesus arrives, he will be so impressed with the state of our souls that he will love us. We don't repent as a way of earning or deserving God's mercy and grace. We repent because the birth of Jesus reveals just how much God already loves us before and because of and in spite of what we have done or left undone or how dirty or clean the home of our souls are. Our repentance is a sign of our gratitude and love for the God who came in the person of Jesus to be with us in the fullness of human life, love, joy, and suffering. So maybe the question we need to be asking is, what does it mean to repent? What are the messes we need to clean up to prepare for Christ's coming this Christmas? In his book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, author Steven Pinker argues that despite the endless stream of news about war and crime and terrorism, the reality is that violence around the world has been steadily decreasing for thousands of years. In fact, Pinker claims we might just be living in the most peaceful time of our species' existence. Now, he acknowledges that a lot of people will need a lot of convincing to believe that hypothesis. It's counterintuitive, since the kind of stories that get attention in the media are typically the stuff 
of violence, the all-too-frequent shootings in our neighborhoods and in our schools, the exploitation and abuse of children, the ongoing issue of human trafficking, and wars around the globe that seem to never end. These might be the kinds of things that come to mind when we think of sin, the big ones, murder, adultery, abuse. So when it comes time in church for the prayer of confession, or maybe especially for that silent prayer, when we say each week to God to hear the confession, silence draws from our hearts. I don't know about you, but often in that moment, I find myself momentarily confused. Of course, I do things every day that are sinful, but sometimes it's hard to identify exactly what those things are. But thinking of it in terms of things or even specific actions that we have labeled bad is part of our problem. Our culture will tell us it's sinful to eat too much sugar or drink too much alcohol, or buy too much. Some say it's a sin to work too much. Others, that it's a sin not to work enough. But John the Baptist had none of that in mind when he preached his gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In Hebrew, the word repent means literally to turn around. In Greek, it means to change your mind which means repentance isn't so much about reforming all the individual actions that make up a day. It's so much bigger than that. It's about making a total shift, a shift in perspective, in the way we live, in the way we see, in the way we interact with one another, in the way we understand ourselves and our God. Clearly, John the Baptist's call to repentance resonated with those who heard it. The text tells us that people came, all the people from Jerusalem and the surrounding countryside, to be baptized by him. No doubt some of them thought he was the promised Messiah. But he tells them in no uncertain terms that is not the case. The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. He says, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. These words that John speaks give us a clue to our need for repentance and exactly what that repentance is. Because for most of us, it's pretty safe to say that our greatest sin, especially when we think of sin as a mindset, rather than a discreet action. Our greatest sin is the belief that we can manage our lives pretty well on our own. We think we've got things more or less under control, or if we're willing to admit we don't, we tend to blame ourselves for that and suffer in silence the shame that we've somehow failed at something other people have figured out. But thinking that we can manage life on our own, that we don't need help, is pretty much the same thing as thinking we don't need God. And thinking we don't need God is pretty close to believing we are the gods of our own lives. That delusion is an ugly combination of pride 
and idolatry. And if you're wondering whether you suffer from it, just ask yourself, if John the Baptist walked into our sanctuary today in all his locust and honey and camel hair glory, would you be willing to set aside your smartphone, your to-do list, all the hacks that make you feel you have life under control, and then submit to what he offers, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? Would you be willing to turn around, to change your mind, to see things in a whole new way? Adult baptisms are not all that common in the Presbyterian Church. In my years as a minister, I've only done a few of them. Mostly, we baptize babies, like we did last week, and we baptize infants because we so firmly believe that God claims us in love before we're even capable of either understanding or responding to that. Babies can't possibly respond to God's love yet because almost by definition, they're helpless, needy, dependent. And that's okay. They're supposed to be. So it doesn't bother us to proclaim in baptism that this baby needs God. But adult baptism, that's another story. When we baptize an adult, we proclaim that God's gift of love and grace demands a response from us. God loves us before we are even aware of it, but once we are aware of it, we have to decide how to respond. Baptism is one way to do that. Years ago, I baptized a grown man who had been in the military served a tour in Afghanistan, graduated from law school, and passed the bar. He was married and about to become a father. And yet, on the day of his baptism, he got up in front of a congregation not unlike this one and then got down on his knees to be baptized, publicly admitting that in spite of all his accomplishments and successes, He needs God. Can you imagine doing that? That is the true nature of repentance, the kind of repentance John the Baptist calls for. It is nothing more and nothing less than admitting publicly that we need God, that without God we are hopeless and helpless in spite of all appearances to the contrary. The people in the crowds who had lined up to be baptized by John didn't really know what they were getting themselves all cleaned up for. They were like children proclaiming that I don't need a bath, even as they sink into the warm water, because they remember somewhere deep down how good it feels once they're clean. The people who came to see John the Baptist just knew they were tired, tired of acting like they had it all together, tired of trying to constantly manage and control their lives. They may not have known exactly why they felt compelled to walk out into the wilderness and let John wash them clean. They just knew they had to do it. We have an advantage they did not. 
Because here at the beginning of Mark's gospel, at the beginning of another Advent, we know where the story is going. We know where the story goes, and we know how it ends. We know that this gospel is a love story. It is a story of God's love for us, for all humanity, for all the world. Which means that even though Advent is, yes, about repentance, our repentance in Advent is a sign of hope. Hope in God's mercy and love. This morning, as we receive the nourishment that God provides us at this table, we take up our role in this story. Our part in the story turns out to be quite simple, which is not to say that it is easy. It's not easy at all. Our part in the story is admitting our need, admitting we don't have it all together, admitting that we desperately need God to break into the world and into our lives to bring us healing and wholeness and hope Our part is to admit all of this together publicly in community. Just like all those people streaming out to see John in the wilderness, we gather together to confess our need for repentance and nourishment and unconditional love and to receive all this and more from God. Yes, we need the cozy part of Advent where we get ready by decorating and lighting candles and baking and wrapping We need that, but even more. We need an Advent that begins with John the Baptist, with baptism, with repentance, with this meal. We need Jesus to break into our world and our lives this Christmas, but first, we must admit our need for Jesus. That is repentance. And once we've done that, this season truly begins. Amen.